Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. We've got a lot of big stuff today I want to talk about. Number one, the economy. Numbers came out. Consumer price index rose 8.2% in September. That compared with a year earlier. This is an administration that refuses to admit there's any problems with the economy at all. Then you've got another screw up on top of this, which is now the Saudis have basically thrown our president, Joe Biden, under the bus with a quid pro quo. They say came over hat in hand, begged them to produce more oil. They pretty much laughed at him. And then they said, we're going to cut. He said, please Don't cut until after the midterms. Just give me one more month. I want you to look at this clip and tell me what you think. Let's get straight why I went. I didn't go to one about oil. I went about making sure that we made sure that we weren't going to walk away from the Middle East and what was going on. And by the way, today I just got off the telephone with the president of of, uh, uh, I, I, I got off the phone with the prime minister of Israel and the president of Lebanon. They've worked out a deal. They've been at war, declared war with one another for a long time. They've worked out a boundary relationship along the in the uh, in, in the Eastern Mediterranean for oil. Then they're going to make an agreement that is historic. We also got overflights for Israeli planes over Saudi Arabia. We got movement in terms of how we would deal in the Middle East with aggression from Iran. But it wasn't. You know, there were eight other. There were eight other parties there it wasn't about it wasn't about oil all right so he averted world war four right because we're at world war three right now from last week his comments and then he says well all right we're sorry that gas prices are gonna be high but i didn't go over there to talk about oil production they've clearly come out saying yeah you did and you begged us to stop at least until after the the midterms I think if I remember the media correctly, they used to call this a quid pro quo, and I'm pretty sure they tried to impeach a president of the United States of America for exactly what he just did with a foreign leader with Ukraine. His name was Donald Trump. Your thoughts? Look, every word Biden just said there is inaccurate. Most of it's a flat out lie. Uh, Let's start backwards. Let's start with the second thing he says. There's an historic deal between Israel and (laughs) Lebanon. Let me tell you what's going on there. Israel and Lebanon have been having a dispute over water rights where there are significant natural gas reserves. And Israel has been demanding for years that it deserves a percentage of it. What Biden just did is strong-armed our friend and ally Israel to give 100% of the rights to that natural gas to Lebanon and to Hezbollah, to give it to terrorists. And this is the Biden pattern. Screw your friends and help our enemies. And, and, And it is disgraceful that, that Biden is strong-arming Israel to undermine its own security, its own energy security, its own national security, to flood cash to terrorists who will then use that cash to build rockets to murder Israelis. Now, let's take the first part. He says, I went to Saudi Arabia, but it wasn't for oil. Um, <laughs> I'm reminded of, of two letters— the first of which is B, the second which is S. And since this is a, a uh, family-friendly family show, friendly show yeah. we'll leave it at the abbreviation. But what, like, like, how did lightning not strike him when he said that? He went there to grovel on oil prices. And the stunning thing is what has happened subsequently, which is um, 
the Saudis put out a formal statement. And, 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 the formal and this was amazing, by the way, because I think what it says is not only was Saudi Arabia not willing to quid pro quo and play games, they wanted to stick it to him and show the rest of the world, I think, really how weak America is. Now, that's bad for yeah. all of us. I've always said this. I always root for America on national defense and foreign policy to be strong. And what they're doing is literally mocking us and saying your president's a liar in the process of putting this letter out. Well, and let me let me hit this point, but then I want to step back and give a little bit of a foreign policy framework for how we should be thinking about this. Sure. But let me just read from the from Saudi Arabia's official. I'm you know I'm holding like this is you know you know the government of Saudi Arabia on letterhead. It's not a classified document, everybody. Just it, so you know, it, it, it is not classified. It it it. I did get it from Hillary Clinton's email server, there you but go. It, but uh, all right. So he, so here's here is is one portion there it says. The government of the kingdom clarified through its continuous communication with the U.S. administration that all economic analysis indicate that postponing the OPEC plus decision for a month, according to what has been suggested, would have had negative economic consequences. Now, what does that mean? Number one, it meant Biden was there begging for them to try to keep oil prices low. But number two, what is really damning, he wasn't there advocating on behalf of U.S. consumers, hey, you know, mom is hurting right now when she takes the kids to school and fills up her minivan. Hey, working Americans are getting killed when they're paying 100, 150 bucks to fill up their truck. He didn't care about that at all. He said, can I have one month? Can I have, oh, let me pick a date till November 8th? The thing to understand, Joe Biden and every Democrat in Congress, they want your gasoline prices not as high as they are now. They want them much, much higher. And what he was there was begging for a campaign contribution. Let's be clear what that was. And the biggest one you can get your hands on. I, literally this is the, billions this is of dollars. People winning and losing. The Democrats, he's, he's over there saying, I need you to help me have something good on Election Day where at least we maybe hold the Senate or the House because he knows this is the last card he's got to play. And, and, and it's for one month. So he wants to deceive the American people. And the thing to understand, uh, let me take it at a couple of, couple of different levels. Number one, Joe Biden, when he was campaigning for president, he repeatedly promised that he was going to shut down U.S. oil and gas production, shut down drilling on federal lands onshore, shut down drilling uh, on federal lands offshore. And he's followed through with that. So, you know, when Joe Biden was sworn in as president, the average price of gasoline was two dollars and nine cents a gallon. Uh, It spiked all the way up to four dollars and 48 cents a gallon, more than doubling. It's now dropped slightly. The current average today is three dollars and 91 cents a gallon. Now, if you look at what happened between 208 and where we are now, the first day in office, January 20th, Biden shuts down the Keystone Pipeline. Then on January 27th, seven days later, Biden halts new oil and gas leases on federal land. Then on February 19th, Biden rejoins the Paris Climate Agreement. And by the way, if you can see the, the chart here, you yeah. can see gas prices are going up at each decision. Uh, May 7th, Biden takes 30% of land and makes it off limit to oil and gas. 30% of federal land, boom, gone, no longer in the market. Then on June 1, 2021, Biden halts drilling in Anwar, the, the incredibly petroleum-rich section of Alaska. Then on June 30th, Congress reverses Trump's natural gas regulations, which made it easier to drill for natural gas. Then on October 7th, you can see this, the price keeps going And it's going still up. going up the entire time. Every American's been filling this at the pump the entire time. October 7th, Biden reverses Trump's NEPA regulations, which again made it easier to explore. On October 29th, the interior begins imposing as a regulation the, quote, social cost of carbon to make it more expensive for Americans to drill for oil and gas. Then on November 15th, Biden issues a moratorium on oil drilling in Chaco Canyon. Then on February 25th is when Russia invades Ukraine. Now, if you happen to be watching, you can see from here to here, that entire increase was from the Biden regulatory policies. Now, to be sure, when Russia invaded Ukraine, it went up. Gas prices went up some more, but it had gone up the vast bulk of that before that Russia invades Ukraine. But then what happens? 
On March 1st, Biden begins releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. On March 21st, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, proposes an anti-oil rule to cut off equity financing for oil exploration. On May 12th of 2022, Biden cancels yet more lease sales. The effect of all of this, there are literally over 20 regulatory decisions they put in place designed to drive the cost of gasoline higher. And mark my words, if Joe Biden and Schumer and Pelosi get their way, gasoline is not going to be $4 a gallon. It's not going to be 5 or 6 or 7 as it is in California. It is going to be 10 and then it's going to be 12 and then it's going to be 20 You, I got to go back in history and, and you're, you'll remember this. And I think people need to understand when he was the vice president, Barack Obama and his energy leaders in his administration said, quote, we need to get oil prices, gas prices in America, the same way as they are in Europe, yep. to force people into green and alternative energy, electric cars, solar, the list goes on and on. And when they said that back when Obama was president, that would have put American gas at $5 plus a gallon. My point being, that was years ago now, yep. a decade ago when this was said, and that was their policy because they sell by, you know, the leader over in Europe, not by the gallon. And if you did the math then, it was like 580 to $6 a gallon in Europe when they said that statement. That means what you're saying now is spot on. It, they want $8, $9, $10 a gallon gas. And, and go to this election day. If you think it's bad now, it's going to be really bad because, number one, they're shutting down the extra millions of barrels up from the strategic oil reserves they're supposed to be. That's going to be cut off. And you have OPEC reducing their production by two million barrels a day. What does this look like for the average American? You understand this stuff better than anybody, especially when it comes to our strategic oil reserves, because we're going to have to actually now go on the marketplace and buy stuff. Yeah. So let me give you some amazing stats. So we have strategic petroleum reserves, and that's oil, not gasoline, oil that we keep underground. And it's designed if, if we go to war, if we're in a crisis and suddenly our energy is cut off, we don't want the American economy to shut down. And that's why Congress funded it and why we have it so that, so that America has this uh, reservoir. Um, when Biden was sworn into office, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was 638,085,000 barrels of oil. So that's a lot of oil, 638 yeah. million. Today, you know what it is? What is it now? 416 million barrels of oil as of September 30th. He has depleted the supply by 35%. Now, let me tell you something else amazing. All right. When Trump was president, remember, oil prices cratered. They went incredibly low. Trump proposed, hey, this is a great opportunity. Let's fill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve with, cheap. with oil prices that are incredibly low. You know what happened? Democrats in Congress blocked it. They said, no, 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 no. Do not buy oil cheap for the United States of America. We don't want it. And they blocked it. Chuck Schumer blocked it and filibustered it. Biden, as part of this deal with Saudi Arabia, here's what he told Saudi Arabia. Hey, if you produce a bunch of oil between now and Election Day for one month, I will promise that if oil hits $75 a barrel, we'll, we'll fill the spro with it. In other words, he, he cut a deal. I'm going to go raid the U.S. taxpayers to pay the Saudis a crap ton of money in order to try to buy political deception. The thing to understand, listen, the reason Biden and Schumer and every Democrat in Congress wants high gasoline prices is they think the American consumers are morons. They don't like the choices that people make. They don't like that, that I don't know, what do, you, what do you drive? I have a four-door Porsche Panamera. Okay, so, so I you're- I like to drive fast. Listen, you're- I'm not you're, an elitist. You're, it's got 100,000 miles on it, but I'm a fast okay, driving Okay, Ben, guy. you're failing. You, you know, I, I'm a very <laughs> common man Porsche driver. Look, look, look I saw 16 candles. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw the kid leaning on his Porsche. All right, I, so you don't, this is you and I getting to know each other. You'll laugh. I literally bought- a Porsche 944 in high school and redid it for $2,800 and fell in love with it. Now, the, the car, when I bought it, the guy I bought it from was angry because he had a brand new German Shepherd who ripped the seats up while he went to Kroger. And he pulled up and I taught I taught tennis. And so I was literally 15, about to be 16 when it happened. And I loved this car. He yeah. played for the Cowboys. It was his first car he wow. ever bought in 1985, 86. And so it was his baby. And he came up, he was furious. He comes yelling at me. He's like, Ferguson, he goes, how much money do you have? And I was like, on me? He was like, no, in your bank account. I was like, I have $3,800. He's like, bring 
$2,800 in my house at yours. And I showed up, and the seats had just been ripped wow. to shreds by a brand new So was German that your Shepard. first car? That was my second car. My first was a Honda Prelude with 187,000 miles on it that didn't have AC. And I paid 2200 for that, and I was proud of it, my friend. So uh, see, I'm a commoner when it comes to uh, cars. So, so back to Saudi Arabia. What Biden wants, because they're mad that lots of Americans like Suburbans, lots of Americans like pickup trucks, lots of Americans like minivans, they don't like the choices you're making. Yeah. And so their strategy is let's make it so god-awful painful that it's just miserable, that you can't afford. You can't afford to go to work. You can't afford to take your kids to school. And they're going to force you to get a little Prius and obey. And really what they'd like to do is take your car away and force you to be on on some subway or train, some electric train somewhere. But they're going to take your incrementally. They want you to do public commuting. And, and mind you, they're going to fly private jets while they try to make your life miserable and take away the car you choose. So this is all deliberate. But I got to say, what Biden did here, I actually find really offensive that you go and negotiate and say, give me one month as a political stunt. Sure. And I mentioned I wanted to give some sort of broader political overview. So I've talked about in, in foreign policy, I divide the country, the world, into, into four different groups. We have friends, we have allies, we, we have friends, we have enemies, we have competitors, and then we have what I call problematic allies. Now, what is a problematic ally? The main countries that fall into that are Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Pakistan. Now, those three countries, all of them are allies. We sure. want to be friends with them. It's important to be friends with them. They're geopolitical reasons, economic reasons to be friends with them. But they've got real challenges. Their leadership is problematic. Their human rights records are problematic. They do things to undermine U.S. interest. And so they're, they're allies with significant issues. Now, the Saudis, you got to understand what Biden has done. Biden and the Democrats hate the Saudis. Why do they hate the Saudis? Because they love Iran. It's bizarre. Biden's top foreign policy yeah. objective is to cut a nuclear deal with Iran. Saudi is Iran's major, major counterbalance. And so, look, I think we want to be friends and allies with the Saudis, principally because Saudi Arabia is a major countercheck to Iran, and Iran is led by an Ayatollah who wants to murder us. And so death I want America. Saudi Arabia That's strong. That's the one thing they're consistent on. It's death to America. Does it bother you? And it bothered me when I saw this letter come out from the Saudis from a standpoint that they played him. Yeah. And he should have known going in that they were going to play him. Does that concern you that he's making decisions? Because it's obvious. They said, we're going to play you and we're yes. going to mock you. Yes. We're going to embarrass you. And that's exactly what they did, because I don't like it when we lose on the, on, on, as I said earlier, on the foreign stage on something this important. But it wasn't just they said no to them. It's that they literally said, we're going to embarrass the United States of America in well, the process. When the commander in chief is weak, <clears throat> it's bad for America. And this commander in chief is the weakest we've ever seen. I mean, I mean, he's unfortunately a laughingstock. And ideologically what what this white house has decided to do literally so foreign policy they don't have a foreign policy they view it as a projection of domestic policy so they divide countries into red countries and blue countries sure and red countries are every country that was friends with us when trump was president and blue countries are every country that was any enemies of us so they view as red countries israel so they screw israel every chance they get the united kingdom so they screw the uk every chance they get yeah. guatemala Colombia, which used to have a pro-American, strong free market presidency, what did they do? They went in and undermined it and, and ended up electing a leftist, anti-American former terrorist to be the new leader of, of Colombia. Uh, India, the largest democracy on earth, pivoting very directly to the United States, enormously good for our interest. What is Biden doing? Threatening to sanction India. Uh, it, it is idiotic. Like every country we want to be leaning towards us, they're trying to drive away. And and there, Saudi Arabia falls into that camp. And so they, Biden on the campaign trail promised, said, I'm going to make Saudi Arabia a pariah. He flew to Saudi Arabia, groveled, groveled before the leadership, but also insulted them and ridiculed them to their face. It's not surprising that when you go and, and you treat people like crap. This is what you get. They reciprocate. And the, the flip side, you look at our enemies, you look at countries like Iran and North Korea and Venezuela and Cuba, 
Biden bends over backwards to give them billions of dollars. Now, let me give you a, a different story about Saudi Arabia. Trump is president. The economy is booming. But then we hit COVID, global demand drops, and you may remember oil prices plummeted. Yeah. In fact, they fell negative at one point. It Something was, we may never see in the yeah. rest of our lifetime. You couldn't give away oil during that moment in time. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So at that time, the Saudis joined with Russia and they decided to flood the world market with oil to drive prices crushingly low. So I joined with 10 other senators in condemning the Saudis. And I actually got on the phone with the, with the Saudi foreign minister and the Saudi ambassador and chewed them out. And, and the 11 of us were all pro-oil and gas senators who are big believers in American energy independence. And look, the problem with what they were doing, why were they flooding the market? Because they wanted to bankrupt every American producer. They wanted to put America out of the business of oil and gas so they could corner the market and be the only producers left. And so people understand in America, there's a certain price if you drop below that you start basically losing money. And then if you go even lower than that, you start shutting down production in America. Exactly. And, and then when you start shutting down, it costs millions even to go back online and to start reproducing. And that's what OPEC was doing at the time that you're mentioning is they basically said, OK, we don't like this American energy independence policy of Donald Trump. We sure as hell don't like the fact that we're making less money because they're producing and now we're you know, we're competing. So if we flood the market, they'll start losing money. They'll shut down their production. They'll shut down uh, everything, the domestic production in America, and then we'll eventually win. That's why you were yelling at them. Yes. And the way the economics work, if oil prices are between, say, 50 and $60 a barrel, or maybe 50 and $65 a barrel, U.S. producers with the technology we have can produce, can be profitable. And that's what produces $2 a gallon gasoline. Right. Is at that level. Everything's great it, in the world. It, it, it's, America is the world's energy superpower when oil is $50, $60, $65 a barrel. What the Saudis and Russians saw is when demand was plummeting, they wanted to crash the market to make everyone go bankrupt so they'd be the only ones left in the market. And I got to tell you, I got on the phone and lit them up and I said, look, we have been the strongest friends of Saudi Arabia in the United States Senate. The Democrats already hate you. If you want to drive us away and be alone, you're in real trouble. And I'll tell you, Trump called them and chewed them out and they changed course. They, they, they pulled back. Because and they realized stopped. when he said, I'm going to fight back, he wasn't bluffing. But when you treat people decently, when they behave badly, you can call them to account. When you've done as Biden has done, which is undermine them from day one, look, the Saudis are screwing Joe Biden. They want to screw Joe Biden. But let's be clear. He wasn't asking them do something the American people's interest and, and make gasoline affordable to to people who are struggling. He was saying, give me 30 days of a fake artificial price drop because he thinks the voters are really stupid and that they won't notice that that if gasoline drops 50 cents, his his useful idiots will say, look, Joe Biden achieved this. And then the day after Election Day, get ready for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollar a gallon gasoline. This brings me back to another clip I want you to listen to. And that is the president saying he still believes that we're not going to have this recession. Take a listen to this. There's no guarantee that they're going to be. I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. I'm not rooting for a recession, right? But you got to look at the facts. And the facts say, if you look at the, what we've always said, the traditional definition of a recession is, Senator, we're in it right now. Yeah. Everybody on Wall Street saying, we're in it right now. The only people that are acting like it's not happening are these idiots. And he's sitting there going, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you know we're in a recession. I think everybody else knows it. So, look, you and I, in college, we both took Economics 101. When you take Econ 101, they give you the definition of a recession. The definition of a recession, for as long as we've been alive, Live has never changed. Is two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. That defines a recession. We have had two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. If we were dealing with the English language, if we were dealing with the planet Earth, everyone would say we are in a recession right now. The Biden White House realizes, wait a second, saying that Joe Biden became president. We went into a recession. That's kind of bad politically. So they brought a few economists together to literally redefine the word 
recession. They said no longer means that. They said recession now means whatever this panel of economists and the government says it does, and they haven't said this is a recession. And it, it, it is George Orwell would be proud. They simply define the word that, that it's not recession. It's, it's happy, feel good bunny rabbits is what they call it. And so Biden says, we're not in a recession. Why? Because I paid people to say we're not. Never mind the facts. Look, you know, as you know, I'm doing this bus tour all across the country. And so I was doing a bunch of radio interviews yesterday. We're going to be in, in Kansas City uh, on Friday. And, and one of the hosts there said, well, what should the people of Missouri know about, about why they should vote Republican in November, I said, it ain't complicated. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Ask yourself the question, is your family better off now than they were before Biden became president? And for just about every family in America, the answer is not just no, it's hell no. Like every aspect of life from inflation, the cost of everything has gone up, crime, illegal immigration, the mess of it is across the board. And they know that. And what they're counting on is the dishonest corporate media to lie on their behalf and to accept we're not in, in a recession because Biden said they are. You know, it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. These are not the droids you're looking for. And and the corporate media is more than happy to echo that. I think seniors are going to ha- be a really big issue in this yes. election. I had a caller that called in the other day. He's on a fixed income. He only makes X number of dollars. He knows this. Planning for retirement is so important. And he said he met with his financial advisor the other day. He was six months away when Trump left office from retirement. They now told him the other day he's going to have to work probably another five years. That is taking away someone's holy grail part of life, retirement. And he said, I, I, I will show up. He said, but he, and he said this. He said, but Ben, it's not just me. It is everybody I work with that's yep. on a fixed yep. income that are saying we will show up in the midterms. And I know you've seen this on the road because you just took away five years of my life. Well, and let me say that guy is pissed and he has a right to be pissed, but he's actually lucky because he's still working. A group that's getting hit even harder are seniors who have already retired. Let's say you've made a decision. You worked for 30, 40 years, you've saved, you've been responsible, you've got a 401k, you've got an IRA, you've got retirement savings. Joe Biden and the Democrats take over and your 401k has dropped, what, 20%, 25%, 30%, maybe 40%, depending on how you were invested. So the nest egg that was going to keep you through your, your, your golden years is worth a ton less. And at the same time, every single one of your costs has skyrocketed, whether it's electricity or healthcare or rent or mortgages or lumber or gasoline, everything has gone up. That combination, if you're 75 years old and retired and you're looking at your 401k saying, okay, how do we last another, I don't know how long are we going to live, 5, 10, 20 years? Those folks are scared and they're pissed. And despite Biden's best effort, they know who's responsible for it. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion when a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life and by six weeks the eyes are forming by 10 weeks a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb and for just 28 dollars you could be the difference between life or death of a child all gifts are tax deductible and i want you to donate All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. 
You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Senator, I want to switch gears to another story that I think is a really important one. And it came out of court this week. And I, I just want people, I want to make sure I get this right. The former, uh, or the, the FBI offered former British spy Christopher Steele up to a million bucks if he could prove the claims of his infamous dossier paid for by literally Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee was, uh, you know, in their words, quote, original and legitimate. Now, he couldn't do it. And there's an interesting tweet I want you to look at here that I also thought was something that's important. The Steele FBI meeting was on October the 3rd, 2016. Now, pay attention to these dates, everybody, because this is telling you how corrupt the FBI was at the highest levels. The FBI's first surveillance warrant on Carter Page to spy on him and by default the Trump campaign was then filed on October the 21st. This means that after the FBI offered Steele $1 million to prove his dossier was authentic, right? He couldn't do it. The FBI still moved fi- forward, filed a surveillance warrant based on the dossier anyway. And even CNN, they are even saying this in their own tweet shortly before the 2016 election. The FBI offered retired British spy Christopher Steele up to $1 million to prove the explosive allegations in his dossier about Donald Trump. A senior FBI analyst didn't leak this, Senator. He testified it. I was in shock by this because they knew that this was a lie and they still use the lie to go spy on not only Carter Page, but the entire, basically anyone he talked to in the Trump campaign. So there are a couple of things that are really stunning on this. Uh, Number one, the hard left-wing partisans who burrowed into the career positions at the FBI, they hated Trump so much that they were willing to pay literally a million dollars. I mean, holy cow, a million bucks. Of tax dollar money. Of, of tax dollar money to dig up dirt on him. And, and Christopher Steele, this guy was dishonest. He was discredited. The, the FBI had previously fired him. As you know, my next book comes out next week. It is on this topic. The book is Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized the Legal System. By the way, please go to Amazon or wherever you buy your books and, and order Justice Corrupted. Pre-order it right now. I describe in depth, we've got an entire chapter that goes into Christopher Steele, goes into the fact that Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid over a million dollars to create these lies, to create something with no basis whatsoever. The FBI knew it. Senior officials of the Department of Justice knew that that this was being paid for by Hillary Clinton in the middle of a presidential race. Their oppo researcher, they basically turned the FBI into the oppo research team. For them to offer a million bucks for it is stunning. But then the is second- Is that a lot of money? Yes. I, yes. I, I, and the reason why I'm asking is that a lot of money is, uh, we know we have FBI informants, okay? But you know a lot more about this. I than, have than, never heard of an informant being offered a million bucks. That, okay, th- that that's is, what I wanted to know. Because now, it's now, almost like bribery, yeah. in my opinion. If that's an abnormal amount of money, it's like they're begging him to please give them something that can that can credit, verify his entire report that they knew was crap. So, so I'll confess, I don't know what the typical amounts that are given to informants are that has not been i've worked in law enforcement a lot but i haven't worked in that aspect of law enforcement that is a perfect topic for when we get a republican majority in the house and senate i think the senate judiciary committee needs to haul christopher ray's ass in front of the committee and force him to answer the question i want to get a report on every single classified uh, informant and what they paid them. They don't have to give the identities, but I want to know how much they're paying them because my suspicion is that $1 million is wildly out of bounds, that it's not even close. If I'm wrong, if they're routinely given million dollar checks, that may be a different level of inquiry. Yeah. But like, how are you spending all this money and we all are paying for it as taxpayers? Look, my suspicion is you're dealing with $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000, and then suddenly they, they hire at the FBI Dr. Evil, who sticks his pinky in his mouth and goes, $1 million! Yeah. So that, that shows how committed they are. But then the second piece of the tweet that you laid out is the timeline, that 
They offer Steele a million bucks to corroborate it. He can't because it was all lies. And they nonetheless use the lies that they now know are lies because he, he would have taken his million bucks if he could corroborate it. And they go to the FISA court, a federal court, and they rely on those lies to get a warrant to to wiretap Carter Page, um, who was an informal foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. Now, there's another element that's not included in this, but Michael Horowitz is the inspector general of the Department of Justice. He's yep. been there a long time. He did a long report on everything that that they did wrong in in this investigation and persecution of Donald Trump. And he outlined, I think it was 17 different major errors, major, like everything they screwed up. But one of the most dramatic is, so they're looking at Carter Page and trying to determine whether to go after him. And so the FBI sends an email to the CIA and they ask, hey, was, was Carter Page a source for you? In other words, was he working for you? Now, remember, the basis that they wanted to spy on Carter Page is he's talking to some really shady Russians. Right. Now, if he's talking to shady Russians on behalf of the CIA, if he's helping the U.S. government by talking to shady Russians, then maybe we shouldn't be intercepting his communications and spying on him because he's actually being a patriot and helping America. So the FBI says to the CIA, is this guy a source for you? The CIA responds in writing, says, yes, Carter Page is a source for us. In other words, don't be surprised he's talking to shady Russians. Yeah, and leave him alone. Yeah, we want him to. He's helping We're America. We're asking him to. So the assistant general counsel at the FBI takes that email from the CIA, alters it, and literally deletes the phrase was a source and changes it to was not a source. He reverses it 180 degrees to say the opposite of what the CIA says. Just to keep the FISA warrant going. And then he submits that fraudulent document, that counterfeit document that he created to a federal court, which is a criminal offense. I mean, that's how bad these guys wanted to get Donald Trump, that they were willing to create fraudulent documents. They knew Steele couldn't back it up. He didn't collect his million bucks. It, this was absolute politicization of the Department of Justice and the FBI. You look at this and you look at the other story that came out, and it and I think it shows clearly a pattern. You have these two FBI agents that went to warn big tech, Facebook, about yep. Yep. the story, the laptop story with Hunter Biden. We find out they gave donations during the same election cycle to Democrats and liberal Democrats. I know, and you ran for president, right? You have themes when you run. One of the themes that clearly caught on was drain the swamp, right? That yep. was a theme yep. of Trump that was a very good theme that worked well. Did you ever imagine, though, that it was as bad as it is now? I don't think he could have imagined this, knowing that you got people changing emails, knowing you got people like Peter Strzok and Lisa Page out there doing what they were doing, knowing that you're lying to the FISA court, and now knowing that you gave him a million dollars if he could just corroborate his yep. claims, his own dossier. But again, I have to go back to this was paid for and created by the Democrat National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign and Hillary Clinton's lawyers. No one's gotten in trouble for this. So this is what my book talk about talks about. My book starts with Richard Nixon. And Richard Nixon tried to use the machinery of government to go after his political enemies. He tried to use the Department of Justice. He tried to use the FBI. He tried to use the IRS. And by and large, the system worked. By and large, the system pressed back. So the first chapter of the book, I do a deep dive into Nixon's corruption. And, and it's, it's a little stunning. Look, you and I were not around when Nixon was doing this stuff. So doing the research for the book was fascinating, the degree to which these guys were- Hold another level. I, Nixon rightly resigned in disgrace. I am not a fan of Nixon. I think he was thoroughly corrupt. I think he was surrounded by thoroughly corrupt cronies. But the institutions of America pressed back and said, we're not a weapon to target your political enemies. We went through a period after Nixon where both Democrats and Republicans largely refrained from trying to do that, that the Watergate stink was enough, that everyone was nervous, and they by and large didn't do it until a law professor from Chicago became president, Barack Obama, and the media had told him he could do no wrong, and so he began blatantly abusing government and abusing the institutions of government to go after his enemies, and the difference is 
The IRS told Nixon no. Under Obama, they were perfectly happy to do it. They targeted conservatives. They targeted Tea Party, Tea Party groups. groups. Yeah, that was, and people may forget that, but you had the IRS and people at, was it Lois Lerner? Isn't that right? Yes, she was yeah. in charge of yeah. the. The, uh, of the group that was it, within the CIA, I mean, excuse me, within the IRS that, yep. that literally said Tea Party groups, 501c3s, you want this, watch this, we're coming after you. Pro and life they weaponized groups, it. Pro-life groups, pro-Israel groups. Some of the terms that they said were warning signs for a group, constitution, patriot, bill of rights. Literally, if you're defending the Constitution and Bill of Rights, the IRS said that made you suspect we're going to target you. Now, the reason this connects back to what we were just saying is you were talking about how Biden sent the FBI agents to warn big tech uh, who were Democratic donors. When the IRS scandal broke, Barack Obama held a press conference and he said he was angry and the American people have a right to be angry. He, he, he faked indignance. Well... Eric Holder is attorney general, put in charge of that investigation, a longtime Democrat donor, a partisan Democrat who had given, I think, $6,000 to Obama and the DNC. She was in charge of it. I, I pressed Eric Holder. I called on them to appoint a special counsel who was not a major donor to the Democrats. And of course, what did she do? She buried the whole thing. They refused to do it. It was brazen. And Obama developed the pattern of let's turn these institutions into our stormtroopers. And in particular, when Obama left, all of those partisans, they burrowed into the senior leadership positions below the political appointments, the career positions. They filled them with hard partisans. All of that has now metastasized under Joe Biden, and it is much worse than it's ever if been. If you want to know what the legacy is of Barack Obama, it is what we currently have. Yes. I think at these institutions. Yes. And I give I give my political adversaries credit when credit's due. He was a brilliant guy that understood, I want to go around Congress, so I'll go through executive orders for anything I want to do. And if I get busted, I'm such a likable guy, I'll just walk out there and act like I'm upset or angry that this was happening. This should never happen in America. And the media will lie for me. And they will lie and protect me, and they never never called him out once yep. for any of this. Yep. One of the other big lies, and this is an issue that I know you being obviously from Texas, was one when you saw this lie about the Border Patrol agents who were on the horses yep. Yep. and they were attacked. And we have a montage I want you to, to, to listen to of what the media did to these Border Patrol agents who were on horseback. And now there's more to the story that's come out. But first, let me remind everybody what the media was saying instantly without knowing any background without knowing anything from a picture not a video a picture here it is images that make you think of how enslaved people were treated border agents using some kind of whips around migrants at the border at least one border patrol agent using a a whip and was effectively trying to lasso some of the migrants whipping i don't care what anyone Mm. says yes it's the rain but nonetheless there was whipping that happened border patrol agents using reins against migrants. They say that this looks like slavery. They say that this is cruel, that it's inhumane. I was not aware that whips, um, which come from the slave era, slavery era, were part of the package that we issue to any sort of law enforcement. In 2021, seeing whips and being them corralled on horses was just a sickening and dehumanizing image. When you start whipping people with, and you want to split hairs between reins and whips. You look at that. They didn't know if anyone had been whipped. They saw a picture. It was a lie. You tweeted out this week a very interesting tweet on this story, calling out Marcus still to this day for not defending these men that were doing their job. They weren't whipping anyone. And no one has apologized to them yet. And the government has still not really backed them up. Yeah, it's even worse than that. So you had Border Patrol agents who are in rough terrain and they're riding horses. And they're using their reins. And it is a photograph of their using their reins to steer the horses. And they're not whipping anyone. They're not striking anyone. They're, they're steering the horses with the reins. And that picture, number one, the useful idiots in the media all repeated the same talking point. Notice almost word for word, whipping the migrants, whipping the migrants, whipping the migrants. That was the talking point. And then immediately moved to race. Yeah. And none of them cared about the truth or falsity of it. None of them cared what the truth was. Those Border Patrol agents were 
doing their jobs trying to protect the country, but it gets even worse. So this week it broke that Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the Homeland Security Secretary, received that day an email from a subordinate that said the photographer who took the picture, the picture that everyone is claiming, saying this is the the Border Patrol agents whipping people, said, no, no, nobody whipped anyone. That's not what the picture shows. That's a misunderstanding. So he knew that. Day one. And a couple hours later, he went and did a press conference. We've got that press conference. Let's, Let's play it. And I want to play this because I want people to understand this. Look at his eyes. This was a pre-planned moment. Yep. This was a moment where they could justify an open border. It was a moment where they could attack the people protecting the border. And it was a moment they could seize to say, look at these evil people down there in law enforcement. We don't back them. We don't stand behind them. You should never listen to anything they say about the fentanyl or anything else coming across the border or the death or destruction that's happening at the border or even inhumane conditions that were happening at the border. And you could see, and I, I call this a setup, and that's why I, I want to make sure I, I, I say pay attention, everybody, because he couldn't wait, yep. knowing that what yes. he was about to say is a lie, to push this political BS look. The, the wit, the horse wit, sir, I'm not, that is something, that is something that horrified us all. And, you know, this morning I was on radio and um, the interviewer uh, said that it was, uh, it troubled uh, very profoundly the black and the african-american community and I, I i said one thing and and it, this should be clear those are not the only communities that it um it horrified those are not the only communities uh that it concerned of course that concern might be most acute uh given uh the history uh in this country and in other parts uh, of the world but all of america is horrified to see what those images suggest you expose this. He knew in the moment he was saying that, that everything he was saying was a lie. And he basically decided to take the full power of the White House podium to slander our Border Patrol agents and to turn them into the worst people in the world. So he had a choice. He's been given a very important responsibility. He's the Secretary of Homeland Security. He is one of the top, he and the Attorney General are the top two law enforcement officials in the United States of America. He has tens of thousands of law enforcement officers who report to him. The Border Patrol agents report to him. ICE reports to him. Um, He had a choice. He could do what an honorable leader would do, which is defend your people, which is tell the truth. He knew at the time, he knew he'd been informed in writing that his agents were being slandered, that what all of the chattering voices in MSNBC was saying was a lie. He knew that that's not what the picture showed because he knew that the photographer who took it said they weren't whipping anyone. And anyone who was honorable, anyone who actually cared about your job would support your men and women, would tell the truth, and frankly would be indignant. Someone who had integrity would stand up and say, let me tell you about these Border Patrol agents. They risk their lives. He's their boss. He's their boss. He is literally their boss, and he's throwing his own employees under the bus. And he deliberately lied about it. That clip there, you are listening to someone who is lying, who knows he is lying, and he's doing it for one reason, which is to curry favor with the Biden White House. He knows the Biden White House likes this story. They like telling, look, they can't defend their open borders and the chaos at the southern border. So the left has one card they play over and over again in the race card. And they want to say, well, look, anyone securing the border, they're just evil slaveholders whipping people, which they knew was a lie. But anyone they dislike, they call a Klansman. By the way, it's worth noting, just this (laughs) week, the, what is it, the chairman or president of the Los Angeles City Council, a Democrat, a hard leftist, uh, a big advocate of abolishing the police, resigned in disgrace because she and three others were caught on tape with virulently racist attacks attacking African-Americans, attacking a a white colleague of hers who had adopted an African-American child, and adopting other Hispanics from from Oaxaca and Mexico saying they they were dark-skinned and ugly. And look, when it comes to virulent racism— to be fair, neither party has a monopoly on it. There are racists across the political spectrum. But the Democratic Party normalizes and welcomes this. And, and, and it, uh, it is fitting 
when you're willing to do what Mayorkas is willing to do there, you are trafficking in deliberate lies and deception. And those officers, those border Should he patrol- lose his job? Huh? Should he lose his job? Absolutely, yes. And I believe one of the very first things we should do when we have a majority next year is that, that we should impeach him. Now, what does that mean? For the House to impeach him takes a majority. We're going to have a majority in the House. I think that will happen. I actually have a pretty high level of confidence that within the first couple of months, the House will impeach Mayorkas. Um, and that's a big deal because it doesn't happen very often. It is a big, big deal. And, and a reasonable person could say, well, why would you do that? Because impeaching, as you, as you know, uh, is bringing formal charges against an, inf- an official. That takes a majority. It then goes to the Senate to remove someone from office takes two thirds. Sadly, the Democrats with Donald Trump educated all of America about that. The chances that any Senate Democrat or that enough Senate Democrats would be willing to vote to remove Mayorkas are essentially zero. These guys, none of them care. Every one of them has voted in favor of open borders over and over and over and over and over again. There's not a single moderate on this issue. All of the Democrats are running pretending to be moderates, but Every one of them, when given a chance to vote, votes in favor of open borders. So they're not going to vote to remove Mayorkas. The reason we need to do this is we need to have a trial on the floor of the Senate. And it needs to be an extended two-week trial where we put on evidence systematically explaining the chaos, the suffering, the children abused, the women who are raped, the dead bodies, the, the fentanyl overdoses, all of the misery that is caused by our open borders. And the reason we need to do that is those same useful idiots that you just played on the media that are t- t- telling Democrat talking points, they refuse to re- report on what's actually happening on the border. That's how this administration gets away with it. I- I- if, if you so watch- it's not even just about impeaching him. It's really about saying, here's the reality yes. the sto- of what's happening at the border. This is how bad it is. This is the human suffering. Yes. Right. I go back to AOC, the, the, the kids in cages, right? You know, well, guess what? They, who, who bought and paid for them? The Obama-Biden administration who used them for years. They're the ones that use them for years. You go back to that, but you look at all the suffering. You look at the human struggling. You look at the money tied to every human being. There's Every human being is worth money to these smugglers, and they use them the Billions. entire way. Yes, it, it is. And, and to be clear, when it comes to the cages, Obama built the cages, and they are bigger and, and more inhumane under Joe Biden than they ever have been. And I've been to the pages. I've been to the cages under Barack Obama. I've been to the cages under Donald Trump, and I've been to the cages under Joe Biden. The Democrats only go under Trump. When it when when it was Obama and Biden, they ignore it. Nothing to see here. Personal side bet over under. Do you think the 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 woman who's in charge of the border, Kamala Harris, will ever actually go to no. the border? No, and there's a reason. <laughs> it, it's not even that she doesn't want to see it, although she doesn't want to see it. It's that she knows if she comes, the TV cameras will follow her. That's the same reason Joe Biden hasn't been to the border, because their strategy, it is so bad you cannot defend this. Like if you see, if you see the children suffering, if you see the disease, if you see the crime, this is modern day slavery. And so their only defense is make it disappear, and the way they make it disappear is with the complicity of every hack in the media who refuses to cover it. And the bizarre thing is, look, if you are someone who watches, let's say you watch CNN, and you think you're a middle-of-the-road person, you you think, I'm not a partisan Democrat, you've been on CNN a bunch, Uh, you know. Worst seven years of my life, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm still in therapy for it. (laughs) Well, and to be honest, they didn't used to be as horrible as they they are now. But- if you watch CNN or MSNBC, or for that matter, ABC, CBS, uh, NBC, you don't know that there's a border crisis. It doesn't exist. I had a Border Patrol agent who said to me, he called into my show one night, and he said, I never thought I'd see a third world country be created within the United States of America. And that's how he described it the war. He says the third world country conditions, the living conditions, the humanitarian crisis, what they're interacting with that's coming across the border. It is, he said, of that scale. So I, I had dinner with some friends uh, last night uh, who one of, one of the folks, her sister owns a ranch down in South Texas, down by Eagle Pass. She said her sister's ranch has a thousand illegal aliens crossing it every week. 
every single week, a thousand. Now, that's enough to declare a national disaster in New York City, by the way, at the at the hands of the mayor there. Fifty in Martha's Vineyard. Right. They declared an emergency and brought in 100. What was 120 uh, National Guardsmen to deal with 50 people? Imagine being that ranch owner a thousand a week. I was talking with another ranch owner who has a farm down there who bought a farm and he wanted to grow organic crops. He can't grow organic crops because the USDA has a rule when you have illegal aliens crossing, you're not allowed to sell the produce you produce because their their disease is carried. And so he wow. can't grow on his land because the volume is just constant he's asked the national guard to come in he's asked texas to come in and 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 build build the wall there because he literally cannot grow anymore on his farm because the volume is so much that it is illegal to sell the produce that is grown there and and by the way the refuse he told me like scattered their clothes and diapers and trash i mean just just truckloads of of garbage being brought when you have 4.4 million people crossing the border illegally in a year and a half. The damage and devastation it brings, that's what we need to have a trial on the Senate floor is make people see that. I'll tell you something we need to show them, and this is, I'm going to apologize, it's a little graphic, but it's true. When I was last at the southern border, I, I brought a group of, or two times ago actually, I brought a group of seven senators down there. And we met with Border Patrol and law enforcement, and they told me about a new phenomenon that they've just started seeing, which is that the human traffickers take women across the border into the United States, and they rape them. And they then hang their undergarments in a tree. And what law enforcement and Border Patrol is finding is trees with 10, 20, 30 women's underwear hanging in it. And they they call them rape trees now. And the cartels are bragging. They're flaunting to the law enforcement. You cannot stop me while we commit these atrocities. That's what Joe Biden has done. That's what Kamala Harris has done. And that's what we need on the Senate floor is for people to see the rape trees that and are to be the clear, result of it's open not borders. just one tree. No, I want people to understand this. Multiple. This has now become a new thing. Yes. It's a way of, of giving the middle finger to America, to our leadership, to our border patrol base, saying, you guys have no power over us. Yep. And this is how brazen we become. Exactly. Lastly, and I want to get into a subject, but there is a, a issue that is happening, and it's in the medical community. And I want to play this video, and then I want you to to explain this is an actual real uh, moment happening. I think it was University of Minnesota, correct? Where you have medical students that are actually having to recite this. Listen carefully, folks, because this is what's happening in medical schools in this country. Our institution is located on Dakota land. Today, many indigenous people throughout the state call the Twin Cities home. We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. This may be the creepiest thing I've ever seen. But I also, you may be like me, when you when you do what you do for a living, you always have in the back of your head when you're picking someone to take care of you medical, you want to make sure they're friendly. I watch that and the fact that this is happening and, and somehow legal to, to have that be recited and to mandate that and indoctrinate doctors this way. After what we just saw with doctors being also their their careers being threatened if they didn't do the exactly what they were told to do with COVID-19, can't do ivermectin, can't yep, talk yep, about yep. this. You saw this and you tweeted about this because this is a moment that needs to be stopped now in America. So, look, anyone who listens to that or even worse, if you watch the video and I encourage you watch the video, it looks like a cult. It looks like the Branch Davidians. You expect David Koresh to be at the, at the front of it. They are, this is a medical school, University of Minnesota Medical School. This is all of their students or some subset of their students. I don't know which. But they're forced to stand up 
They're all reading pieces of paper the school is like giving Like they're a church. Like they're a church, and they're giving a pledge. Now, a medical school is supposed to teach you how to be a doctor. It's supposed to teach you science. This is all politics. This is woke. Later in that pledge, they pledge their commitment to anti-racism. We didn't play that segment, but that's a little bit later in their pledge. It is hardcore Marxist. So they pledge to be opposed to the gender binary, to fight against. In other words, every one of these ostensible doctors is pledging against the notion that there is such a thing as a woman and there's such a thing as a man, that that is oppressive. And number one, what the hell are medical schools doing engaged in political indoctrination? Number two, this is not a private medical school. This is the University of Minnesota. This is paid for by Minnesota taxpayers who are paying to indoctrinate their doctors. You know what? If I go to a doctor, I'd like to know how to get better from whatever's ailing me. And, you know, this we pledge to, to, to treat all indigenous forms the same as, as modern medicine. You know, if I've got cancer, I don't want them to tell me to smoke peyote. I want them to tell me how to cure the friggin' cancer. And, and it it is... It's a top. I also want people to understand this. This is a top medical school. This is not yeah. some like online university. This is at the highest levels. You add this into what just happened at Vanderbilt. And the, and the, so, so let and, me and, ask you something. Let's suppose in, instead of becoming a, a world famous podcaster, you decided you wanted to be a doctor. And let's suppose you studied hard, did well in the MCAT. You got into the University of Minnesota Medical School. It's good school. It's a big deal. Imagine you're one of those students and you're standing there. What do you do? Well, if it's your lifelong dream to be a doctor, and I understand this. And let's you're say you're two thinking, years into it or yeah, three you're years. You're getting ready to graduate. You're going to raise your hand and say, I'm not doing this. You're going to sit down and protest and get kicked out of medical school. and Because they own you at that point, right? Your entire life's work is happening. They own you. You have to finish. And if you don't finish, what's your next career? Like, yeah, you can be a whistleblower in a sense, but you're ruined. You're done. By the way, the guy leading that chant, the, the, the David Koresh, I was reading his background. He's got a, a medical degree from Yale. He's got a degree, I think, from Johns Hopkins. He did his residency at Harvard. I mean, it's a gold-plated medical resume, and he is now a Marxist indoctrinator. Like, like that's not medicine. That's not science. That is politics, and it's dishonest and bad politics. It is. Is there any way to stop it? Because it's it's becoming real. And I'll end with this question because we had friends that just had a baby. She is going into the hospital with contractions. I mean, this is that scene out of the movie that everybody has, yeah. right? The water's broken. And they actually had to spend time as she's actually in doing contractions and filling out paperwork, and one of the things was, do you identify as a man or a woman? She's pregnant. She's about to have a child. And it says, literally, they're asking her as they're checking her in, are you a man or a woman? I'm I'm a woman. I'm pregnant. And these are the people you're supposed to trust with your life and your baby's life. If there's any complications, this is the institution. So my point is, they're winning. Because you're getting those questions asked, it tells you they're winning. Vanderbilt, what happened there? They're winning. This they're winning. How do we, is there a way to correct this? So look, you and I are both dads. Um, you know, I was there when both our girls were born. Can you imagine walking into the hospital with your wife, nine months pregnant in labor, and, and the doctor saying, uh, sir, which one of you is giving birth? Right. Uh, Mr. Ferguson, <laughs> can we put you up uh, in, in stirrups? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> a no, and B, I want a different <laughs> hospital. Like, now, you people are nuts. <laughs> yeah. If you can't figure out which person has a baby. Yeah. We got bigger problems here. So look, they're winning and they're not. The cultural Marxists have taken over the institutions of much of our society. University of Minnesota Medical School is apparently altogether lost. But here's the good news. Most of America has common sense. They've gone too far. I think there's a big pushback. By the way, you look at this election, the Hispanic community is moving to Republicans in massive numbers. This kind of idiocy is a big part of it. You look at suburban women, moms, Virginia, that went from 10 points going for Joe Biden to a year later electing a Republican governor. It was moms who were ticked off at this kind of garbage. So I do think the left has gone, they've jumped the shark. They've gone so crazy that there is a large supermajority of Americans that think it's nutty. If you say birthing people and not moms, you're, you're a freak. We're not compatible. Yeah, yeah we're like, not like, going to be friends. 
Now, I will say, I think there are a lot of people who think that's nutty, but a lot of them are scared to say it. I mean, it, 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 they're, now I think they're quietly going into the voting booth and they're pulling the lever the other direction, but it is the left operates by fear and intimidation and destruction. They go after you. So, so if you happen to believe that women exist, look, J.K. Rowling, who is a through-and-through leftist, yes. has been utterly tarred and feathered because she actually believes women exist. And if you or I decided tomorrow, I, I feel pretty, I'm a woman— She's like, well, dude, no, you're not. You, you can do that you can if do you yeah. want. You, you, you know, dress, you, you, you can dress as a woman. You can go get a surgery and chop it all off. But that doesn't suddenly make you a woman. We could knock yourself out if that's what you want to do. But don't ask me to insist that there is nothing about women that has any meaning whatsoever. She is the idiot actors on Harry Potter. Don't invite her to Harry Potter reunions. Like, how stupid is that? It's welcome to the insanity of the world right now. Senator, it's fun. This is going to be a lot of fun for everyone listening. Remind you and watching. We're doing this three days a week. Uh, it, two of them are going to be audio only. One is going to be video as well. You can watch on YouTube. I ask people this all the time. Two things. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening and you can see that little forward arrow, share it. Number two, write us a five-star review uh, because Lord knows the lefties love to write you one-star reviews. So help us combat that and tell your family and friends, and I'll see you in a couple of days. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. Ben Ferguson here, and if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit Labrador Energy. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information.